You are listening to Bear in Mind, the University of Northern Colorado's official podcast. Join us each episode as we listen to the voices from UNC faculty, staff, and student alumni as they offer insight on issues of local or national importance. This is your host, Dan and Cox, bringing you just a taste of UNC. Did you know that UNC has the oldest gender studies program in Colorado? Since 1974, students from all walks of life have studied here to learn more about the development and culture of gender, sexuality, and inequality both past and present. One point of discussion is the concept of a school dress code and its relation to body shaming. On this episode of Bear in Mind, we talk with Dr. Christine Talbot, Associate Professor and Coordinator of Gender Studies, to explore more about the ideas of a dress code and what that means to masculinity, femininity, and more. I'll let Dr. Talbot take it from here. What I, what's always really struck me about particular kinds of dress codes, I mean, right, like, there's nothing inherently wrong with the, with the notion of a dress code. It's when the dress code becomes gendered that I find it a little bit disturbing because it seems to me to be, in the ways that I've sort of seen and experienced uh, gendered dress codes, there seems to be a couple of assumptions behind them. One of which is that a female body is inherently sexual, right? So there's this assumption that a female body is inherently sexual, therefore it must be covered. Mm-hmm. The second assumption is that men are inherently sexual and will become somehow distracted or turned on or whatever by an exposed female body, right? So there's this notion, right, like that men can't do math if her bra strap is showing, mm-hmm. which is sort of nuts. Men actually can do math, as it turns out, <laughs> even if her bra strap is showing. Um, there's studies on that, yeah. Right. So, <laughs> So it's, I mean, it it really seems rooted in these two basic cultural assumptions that are much broader than dress codes, but then get embodied in ways that encourage men to think of women in particular kinds of ways as sexual objects and encourage women to think of themselves as sexual objects. And I think that's damaging to both men and women. this is starting from a young age. This is this is starting some from, of it, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, to where instantly, no, make sure that you know, not ne- keep your eyes to yourself in a sense, mm-hmm. and, and knowing that you know there is this other area of another human being, but don't look that way because that is that that and is cover going that up. yeah cover it up because if not then sexual arousal will happen. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and that, and that, it kind and that of, will inherently lead to sexual harassment and yes. it will be your fault if you're sexually harassed because you wore that slinky thing, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> so, so what kind of changes have been seen in regards to this? Uh, I mean, let's just say in the past, I don't know, 50 years. Uh, I mean, I mean, do you feel like we, we are getting to a better spot? Are we becoming I actually think it's getting worse. Really? Yeah. Well, over the, ba- the past 20 years, I think it's getting worse. Okay. Um, huh. I didn't really have, we didn't really have a dress code when I went to high school. I had my own personal dress code enforced by my mother, but that's yeah. a whole different story. <laughs> yeah. um, we didn't really have a dress code um, when I went to high school. You know, and I mean, people, buy, I went to high school in the 80s, um, you know, and people were less inclined to 
dress in ways that other people see or authority figures see as problematic. But um, but I do think that dress code, I, so, so the reason I think it's getting worse is because these cultural assumptions about masculinity and female bodies are, I think, becoming more embedded in culture um, in the 21st century. If you look, for example, at shifts in popular culture, um, you know, porn is becoming more and more violent and more mm -hmm. and more... Um, uh, there's not a better word than degrading <laughs> yeah. uh, to women's bodies. Um, music is becoming more and more sort of violent in terms of its relationship to human bodies. Yeah. And it's, it's, of course, it's not true of all popular culture, and of course, it's not true of all music, and of you know, of course, it's not true of all porn. Mm -hmm. But there is, I think, a kind of ratcheting up of ideas about masculine sexuality, um, and it's sort of forcefulness and kind of power and um, sex the sexual objectification of women. And I think one of the things that school officials and other people who make these dress codes are trying to respond to is that cultural uh, impulse. But I think it's a really problematic response to just say, okay, what we're gonna do to respond to this cultural impulse is cover up female bodies so that they don't unleash this uncontrollable male sexuality. I don't, I don't think that's the way to go. And that's hard though, because it's, you know, that's a preventative approach. So it's, that, that's the way I would see it. It's, why else would administration do that? Well, to prevent X, Y, and Z. So then what other, what other routes could there be though? From, from administration. Right, I mean, well, in some ways, there's a way that dress codes sort of participate in what some feminists might call the logic of rape culture, mm -hmm. which is that if a woman gets raped, it's because she did X, Y, and Z yeah. that unleashed his uncontrollable desire. And I think what needs to happen is we need to rethink this notion of uncontrollable desire mm -hmm. on behalf of men, mm -hmm. which is that men can, in fact, control their sexual desires, we know that rape is a planned um, behavior. It's not something that just sort of happens to men, that men just sort of experience this uncontrollable urge to sexually assault someone. We're very clear about that, yeah. that that's not how rape happens. And, and I think sort of a dress code is kind of a, or, or the, way, the logic of this dress code is sort of a, a microcosm of that kind of logic Right, that in order to prevent male b misbehavior, we have to control women. Yeah. And so I think the preventative aspect of it has to come in terms of thinking harder about how, about masculine behavior, about male behavior, mm -hmm. um, and paying more attention to how we're creating those, how this, how this cultural idea is creating and facilitating those kinds of behaviors among men. I think that's actually more preventative than covering up girls' bodies. Yeah, I, I, f I feel like in the sense the masculinity has been for so long been able to kind of be brushed to the side and mm -hmm. the spotlight is, it's not, it doesn't have to, it hasn't had to be, be on them. Right. But really, no, what you're, what I'm getting from is this kind of like, no, we still illuminate the, the, the parts of femininity but masculinity needs to be shown in what males, you know, can and are inherently have con self control and able to do, mm -hmm. rather rather than yes, this 
almost as like a, a dog behind a cage kind of feeling. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Yeah. And the thing too is that um, if you look historically about ideas about gender and sexuality, there was a historical period um, in the 17th, for most of the 17th and 18th centuries, m women were thought to be sexually uncontrollable. And men really? were thought to be much more sort of sexually docile and passive. And it was women who were thought of um, as, as this kind of uncontrollable, unleashed sexual power. And so that, that idea has shifted over time. Yeah. It's not really an effect, uh, which, which suggests to me that it's not really an effect of biology. It's, it's at least in part an effect of culture. Yes, absolutely. This notion that men are uncontrollable and they... It's very external. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And it becomes, you know, it becomes embodied in men in the same way that women objectify themselves and yeah. in the same way that women come to think of themselves as sexual objects. We all do. We get really, really great reviews for most of our, for, well, for really for all of our classes. Um, and what they do is they expose students to different ways of thinking about gender um, than most students are accustomed to. Um, and most students find that really fascinating and really helpful in terms of navigating their everyday lives, navigating the relationships with other people, be they romantic relationships, friendships, sexual relationships, whatever, um, family relationships. Um, so in some ways it's, it's, it's really helpful for students navigating their lives. Um, it's also helpful in that it helps students understand um, the sort of gender dynamics and they're, that they're going to be looking at when they enter the work world. Things like the wage gaps, things, the wage gap, things like the fact that men interrupt women way more often than women interrupt men. Things like there have been lots of studies that suggest that when women participate in a conversation 50% of the time, men think women are dominating the conversation. And all of these things are going to translate into understanding whatever work environment you're in um, and whatever gender you might be expressing, um, the, you know, these kinds of issues are present. Gender is kind of everywhere. Um, so, that, so that's a couple of, of ways to think about why you might want to minor in gender studies. Um, if you want to minor in gender studies, send me an email, christine.talbot at unco.edu. It's really easy paperwork. <laughs>